In studio, I have with me two of the best and brightest legal commentators in Chicago, Terry Sullivan and Irv Miller. And they told me not to say this, but I'm saying it anyway because it's my show. Between them, they have 101 years of legal experience. Yes, that's true. Um, Let's talk first about Terry Sullivan. He's been a lawyer for many decades. He's tried civil and criminal cases for all kinds of clients. He has been the legal analyst for WGN-TV for 10 years. You've seen him there. And he also has appeared on the Discovery Channel, Court TV, CNN, A&E, etc. He has written for the Daily Herald newspaper, and he's best known probably for prosecuting serial killer John Wayne Gacy and the author of Killer Clown, one of the best books written about uh, serial killers. Welcome to the show, Terry. How are you today? I am fine. How are you, Karen? I'm doing well. Thank you for coming in. And I also want to introduce Irv Miller. He's also an experienced criminal defense lawyer. He's worked as a legal technical advisor for The Good Fight and The Good Wife here in Chicago. He is a legal analyst at CBS and provides commentary at National News Networks. Welcome, Irv. Good to see you again. Always good to see you. So let's start with you, Irv. Um, you were the technical legal advisor to The Good Wife. Uh, can we can we play a little clip there, Drew? Good morning. An hour ago, I resigned as state's attorney of Cook County. I did this with a heavy heart and a deep commitment to fight these scurrilous charges. I want to be clear. I have never abused my office. I have never traded lighter sentences for financial or sexual favors. At the same time, I need to atone for my personal failings with my wife, Alicia, and our two children. So your job, Irv, was what exactly when it came to that show? What what were you tasked to do? I had one marching order from the executive producers, and that is uh, to make that show correct in a legal sense, where uh, critics or commentators uh, would see the show and they couldn't complain that can't happen that way lawyers don't talk that way that's not the correct objection that's not the correct defense i was to make it legally correct that was the only marching order that i had and were you also tasked with making it specifically realistic to cook county which is a whole kind of different animal uh than than many you know the largest unified court system or one of them uh in the whole country well other than being uh filmed in brooklyn uh, <laughs> the legal issues were about illinois and specifically chicago so uh they named chicago restaurants they named chicago streets we, we talked about 26 in california we talked about the daily center so it was truly about chicago just wasn't filmed here so if you had to like i know there was a situation where there were conjugal visits apparently do you remember that and i don't know why I remember that other than I think I was asked by the Tribune or the Sun-Times to comment on whether or not Cook County has conjugal visits, which it doesn't. But when you clashed, when you said, hey, this is not realistic, and they still wanted to do it, did that happen? It it did not happen with that because, frankly, there's a reason why that is legit. Um, First of all, it wasn't Cook County Jail. It was a minimum security institution, uh, uh, penitentiary in the state of Illinois. And um, while procedures and rules at the penitentiary say no conjugal visits. Uh, I once had a client who got served with paternity papers, and it turned out that the uh, conception occurred while he was incarcerated. And uh, when I got him in my office, he explained, yes, I'm the father, but the child was in fact conceived uh, when the guards were looking the other way. So uh, we can't say that it can't happen, because I know it can happen. Interesting. Um Wow, that's that. I guess I guess I wouldn't be surprised at anything that happens in prisons. Uh, but now, and one one final thing on on this this line here is when you um, 
when did you actually like coach the actors to h- how to say it and how to say their lines in court uh, or was it mostly just you'd read the script and then would tell them no you got to take this out um, I did coach um, the actors specifically I remember when I was first hired I uh, before the first episode um, the producers called me and asked me if I would talk to one of the actresses who's never portrayed a lawyer before and just give her some tips as to uh, what it's like to be a lawyer and that uh, that that actor happened to be Christine Baranski. And so she called me up and said, Herb, I've never played a lawyer before. I mean, tell me what I what I do. And I, I gave her advice as to how to be a lawyer. And But uh, when you talk about 156 episodes later, um, yes, there were there's nothing but legal talk, frankly, in most of the shows. And I uh, had to make sure the objections were correct. I had to make sure the legal lines were correct. Um, and we've never got criticized. It, it can't happen that way because that was my job to make sure a Illinois or Chicago lawyer, that's legit. They could say that, and this could happen in a courtroom. We that's did. We did try not to cross the ethical lines, but we tried to go perhaps sometimes up to the ethical line. With well, something. and it's always a challenge too to make it entertaining too, because as you and I know, I mean, we've all been in courtrooms and we've all been in trials, and it's not always the most exciting thing. I mean, there's a lot of technical stuff that goes on all day long. Ask any juror who's sat. You know, you got to take drink your coffee strong sometimes to make it through some of this, but. To be entertaining and accurate, that's a real challenge, and uh, I think you've done a good job on that. Um, Terry, uh, yes. you're not getting away with, with anything here. I'm you, right here. You were thrust into the limelight by an infamous uh, resident of the Chicago suburbs named John Wayne Gacy, who killed 33 boys and men and buried most of them under his suburban home. What was that like for you as a young lawyer being tasked with the idea of prosecuting this, what turned out to be a world record murder count? You mean younger lawyer? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. younger lawyer. Yeah. Um, well, that wasn't my first one um, being kind of thrust. Uh, I, before that, ended up arresting and, uh, and prosecuting uh, Patricia Colombo out of Elk Grove. Um, and she had murdered her husband. Uh, sorry, she had murdered her dad and her mother and her baby brother. And that was uh, a major case. But then... The Gacy case just was um, a, a major thing that, that happened, and probably the toughest thing about it was that nobody had ever seen that before. And um, I, I remember going to a Christmas, uh, this was right around Christmas, and I remember going, uh, driving with friends to a luncheon and uh, seeing the Sun-Times um, in the box, and it just... It just had the number uh, there, and everybody in the car said to me, "He must be insane." And all the other people I were talking to, I was talking to after that, seemed to be thinking the same thing. And so that was my my um, biggest fear all the way through was that you know everybody else thinks that he's insane because they never saw uh, one person kill thirty three. Uh, boys. Well, and, and that's people say that all the time. I mean, Dahmer. I mean, all of them. Sure. You, you you roll your eyes and you say you've got to be crazy to do all this stuff. But I guess you know you as a uh, prosecutor, you know you've got those jury instructions and there there are definite instructions about if he thought about it and he, he contemplated it and he planned it and he knew what he was doing and he knew what was right and wrong. 
and there there is no insanity defense, you know. But but it's still a, a very big concern that someone like that is not going to walk free, but is going to go away to a mental institution rather than prison. True. Yeah. True, and that that was probably my biggest worry all the way through, to the time that the jury came back. Yeah, you don't want to lose that one. No, <laughs> you no. don't. Uh, and I'm not gonna... only that. Pardon me. Not only that, but I had written the search warrant. Uh, wherein we discovered the bodies, and um, uh, I had a lot of uh, a lot of ribbing about that because if that search warrant would have been thrown out by Judge Garippo, then um, I wouldn't be here today. Well, right, because if the search warrant was was faulty, then everything that was found after the search would be uh, take you know would be out of court. Exactly, including the bodies. Yep. Wow, yeah, that you're right. Um, I want to plug your book. Uh, it's been on the market for a long time. You can get it on Amazon or any place else. Uh, Killer Clown, uh, Terry Sullivan with Peter Macon. I highly recommend it. It's really, really very good book. Uh, and uh, and if you follow the story and you're old enough to have followed the story, it's it's interesting to read it again. Uh, but we're going to come back. Let's talk a little bit more about some of our favorite trials that we've covered over the years: cameras in the courtroom and other issues. And uh, if you have a question for either Irv Miller or Terry Sullivan, feel free to give us a call here at 312-981-7200. This is the Karen Conti Show on WGN. We are here with legal analysts uh, Irv Miller and Terry Sullivan, who both have done commentary, not only in Chicago, but nationwide. And I want to talk a little bit to both of you, and you just weigh in however you want to do it. You know, we talked to Terry Sullivan, who was one of the prosecutors who prosecuted John Wayne Gacy, the serial killer here in the Chicago um, in the Chicago. Chicago suburbs. You know, it's interesting when you represent or prosecute a high profile defendant uh, or, or party, you sort of get a reputation from it. And usually it's a good thing. Like Marsha Clark lost a case that a lot of people thought she should have won. And yet she's a household word and she has her own show. And Alan Dershowitz has also represented a lot of bad people. And he is obviously a household uh, name. So how, Terry, how did, um, was this a good thing for you ultimately to be tied to John Gacy for the rest of your life? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't necessarily think so. Um, you you I, I, you can't as a lawyer uh, really when you go into private practice. I was a DA for twelve years, and going into private practice, um, you don't really know, as you all know, where your clients come from. Sometimes, and um, some say they've seen you on TV. Some say they know that you prosecuted Gacy. Uh, and others shy away from you because of that. Yes, right. And um, so I, I don't know that it's really uh, helped my career any, uh, except for the fact that you've invited me on. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it's it's a, it's a double-edged sword, I think. Irv, you know, you've commented on, on many cases, and you've watched really good lawyers in practice. Um what do you think about the issue of getting kind of tagged with your client's uh, reputation? Do you, you say that a lot? Do you see like uh, Baez, you know, representing Casey Anthony or, you know, the Johnny Cochran, you know, his name became a household word and he had billboards up all over the country. Is it is that a common thing that you see? 
Um, I'm not sure I understand uh, what you're saying uh, as far as my, as my personal experience. Yeah, well, I mean, you comment on all these cases and you've, you've watched trials and you've commented and, you know, you've seen lawyers, you know, their reputations grow because of who they represent, no matter if they win or lose, no matter how bad the client is. Well, I think lawyers' reputation begin in a courtroom. Uh, when, you, when you try cases against experienced state's attorneys in front of uh, knowledgeable judges and the, they, the judges start talking to each other, hey, I just saw so-and-so try a case and boy, he's really she is a good lawyer, uh, or, or your clients see you on TV, which happens uh, to both Terry and myself, and they say, oh, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten calls from a client in the county jail. Oh, we just saw you up on uh, right. the television. And they tell their friend, hey, that's my lawyer up there on television. And all of a sudden, you're getting calls from uh, the county jail, which is not always good, by the way. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, even though that may not make sense, because you could be a fabulous, I'm not saying this is the case, but even people hearing me on the radio, I mean, you say to yourself, well, I'm I might be a really good radio host, but I may not be a good lawyer. I mean, one thing is not necessarily the other. That's true. You're only as good as your last win, frankly. You it's start true. losing cases and saying, oh, my lawyer just lost a case. I can't refer uh, anymore to any of my friends. So uh, it helps to win. It helps to have uh, judges and prosecutors think you're a good attorney uh, because they have friends that may get into trouble. And I can't tell you how many relatives of judges I've represented uh, in my career. So, yeah, very helpful. And that's a, that's a high compliment when a judge refers a, a case to you but i don't find i i, I disagree with her on that respect that um I, as you pointed out marcia clark has her own tv show and she lost one of the biggest cases uh in the world and then you have uh somebody like uh, our friend sam amirani here in the chicago area who uh who represented gacy and he couldn't have lost a bigger case and he's doing quite well and but I think a lot of people were not really uh, that upset <laughs> when when he, when he lost that case, right? Yeah, that's and true. and when he was executed, I don't think there were a whole lot of people shedding tears. So so yeah, no, he has done well. Um, I have some texter who said, "Does uh, do you, your guests think that O.J. Simpson was guilty?" Well, I happen to be a part of that case. I don't know if you know that. No, but, I do. Not, uh, I did that, not know that. that. Frankly, that's how I started my television career. I represented a witness on the case, and uh, so I was in uh, L.A. for uh, almost ten days, uh, waiting for Judge Ito to make up his mind on another issue before he got around to letting my client testify. So I was in the courtroom. I was uh, on court TV as well. And uh, do I think O.J. was guilty? Well, a civil jury said he was guilty, and frankly, after hearing the evidence, uh, I was surprised at the jury verdict uh, in the criminal case. And does that, do either of you have any idea what really turned this jury? I mean, having been close to it and watching it and covering it, why was there an acquittal? O.J. Simpson? Yeah. Well, I think it was uh, really the the maneuvers of, of F. Lee Bailey. When um, you see what he had, I found this out from F. Lee Bailey. I interviewed him one time here in Chicago, uh, and he had gone over to the jail and on the glass, the, the first time he was, uh, every lawyer had to babysit O.J. during the lunch break. And when he went over there, uh, O.J. was behind the glass, and he put his hand up against the glass uh, to say hello, and F. Lee Bailey did the same thing. It was then that Bailey realized uh, that his hand was so much bigger than the gloves, and he would try the, the well, what's known as the glove trick. But I think that worked, and I think that's what got the jury in the in the end. Now, that's not to say they didn't want to find him not guilty to begin with, but uh, I'm convinced that that is really what turned the case. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Exactly. Yeah.
Um, okay, so let's, uh, you know, talk about good lawyers. And, you know, you, both of you are good lawyers in your own right. But you've been in the courtroom, uh, on your own cases, observing, commenting. Who are some of the good lawyers that you've seen, some of the people that stand out to you? Well, I have to tell you, it, when I go into a courtroom and I see there's a trial going on, I can't sit there and watch it. I cannot watch other lawyers try cases because all I think about is I wouldn't do it that way. I would say this. I would object to this. It's very difficult for me to watch cases. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, but I, I could tell you that some of the best lawyers are former prosecutors that go into uh, the defense bar because they know how to look at a case, analyze a case, look at it from a prosecutor's perspective, and uh, it helps. And that, that's my story. I was an assistant state attorney for 10 years, same office that Terry was in here in Cook County. So it helps to be a former prosecutor. It helps to uh, know what you're doing. It helps to have that relationship with different police departments. So, frankly, you could get on the phone, call up a former detective that you know and say, hey, listen, I need some information. Uh, help me out. So it, it's, it's former prosecutors, but specific lawyers, I tell you, uh, one of the best lawyers I ever saw in practice was uh, uh, Judge Pincham, Eugene Pincham. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was great. His closing arguments. Charismatic. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and Eddie Jensen, I thought, was a very, very good lawyer. He represented um, R. Kelly in the first trial many, many years ago and uh, got correct. an acquittal, got a very good yeah. result in that case. Yeah. Uh, Terry, who, who do you think? Who do you see? I agree with Irv on those. Uh, the lawyers that I would say off the top of my head that I would consider uh, some of my uh, heroes uh, include people like Tom Tully, Bill Kunkel, who was my partner on Gacy, um, F. Lee Bailey, uh, Bill Martin, who is now passed on. He prosecuted Speck. Speck. Before my Richard time. Speck. Yes, I might mention. Um, and uh, Irv Miller. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. Oh, my God, I don't believe it. And I'll throw in, I'll throw in Dan Webb, and I've oh, watched certainly. him try cases. He's, a, he's a brilliant. I missed him, yes. Brilliant. And, and I'll throw in Bob Clifford, who yes. uh, handled the case of Rachel Barton, the violinist whose leg was injured, legs were injured in the Metra. I watched him give a closing argument, and he brought down the jury to tears. It was uh, really something special to watch. But, you know, again, being a good lawyer, I think it's, you know, like you said, experience. Prosecutors get that experience. They, they're thrown things. They don't always have depositions. They, they have to think on their feet. Uh, but they also have to uh, be, have training because, you know, I mean, some lawyers are natural born lawyers and they can do it themselves, but it, it really helps to have a mentor. And uh, we actually, we have Markel uh, Butler in the studio. We're going to talk to him a little later. He's uh, going into his second year of Loyola and he's listening with, uh, with very, very, um, his ears are, are, are lighting up here. Um, but I think some of it's natural. Don't you think that some people just connect with juries and just have a way about them in court that you almost can't train or no? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, some are natural. Um, but then the training really helps. Um, if, if I hadn't had been so lucky as to get in and work for the prosecutor's office, I don't know where I'd be. Um, to, I mean, I spent years uh, at 26th Street. I spent four years as a supervisor of narcotics court where I ended up teaching search and seizure law, which is a backbone of criminal law. Um, but not only the criminal side of it, it just makes you into a lawyer, and it teaches you whether you like it or not. You have to stand up in the courtroom, and you have to stand on your own two feet 
and you have to address a judge, and you have to cross-examine, and you have to be able to co- try to convince a jury. So the training doesn't hurt. But there are some natural born, no doubt about that. Just making that personal connection and, and being able to explain. And be a, a good storyteller. There was an yes. attorney way back when. Uh, uh, his name was George Howard. And uh, yeah. I tried several juries against George in his, his day. And I'm convinced he never read a police report, walked mm-hmm. into the courtroom, and he just knew how to tell a story. He knew how to connect to a jury. And uh, frankly, he beat me every time I tried a case against him. <laughs> and I have no idea how he beat me but because uh, I had the horses, but he had the closing argument. Wow. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking a little bit about cameras in the courtroom, and I have a texter who wants to know, what are your thoughts on Scott Turow? By the way, I invited Scott to come on to talk about his new book, Suspect, which I just started reading. Uh, I'm a huge super fan of Scott Turow, who is the author of uh, Presumed Innocent and also a well-known resident of Chicago. And uh, when we come back, we'll also be taking your legal questions here, probably about 4.15 on any legal topic you might have. You can give us a call here at 3. 312-981-7200. We're here with Irv Miller and Terry Sullivan here on WGN. I'm here with Irv Miller and Terry Sullivan, two uh, very experienced attorneys and legal commentators, and we're talking about a variety of issues. If you have a comment or question, 312-981-7200. Let me just get quickly your answer to the question that I asked you before we uh, we went for to break. Scott Turow, I'm sure you both know Scott, and uh, what do you think? Do you read his books? Yes. Ooh. Yes, and I, I should have listed him as one of my favorites and favorite people. Yeah, he's a wonderful person. Right. Really, just a really uh, kind person and a yep. nice person and a good writer. Presumed Innocent, to me, is the best legal book ever. That's and, and one of the best legal movies, too, in my view. What about you, Irv? Um, fascinating uh, book, fascinating movie. And frankly, as a lawyer, you like to uh, uh, fine-tune your skills by uh, having books and, and, and movies like that that, uh, frankly, do more for you than uh, law school might even do for you. Yeah, abs- uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's, he's great. And I, I hopefully he'll be, on, he'll be on soon talking about his new book. Both of you <clears throat> have been lawyers a long time. And have I said that before? Um, and uh, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, back before there were cameras in the courtroom, were, were there even cameras when you started at all? Like any camera? Uh, no. no cameras, no, <laughs> and, and no, no cell phones. <laughs> so now we, we're starting to have cameras in the courtroom. Uh, and what, what are your thoughts about them? Obviously, you're legal commentators, and it's, uh, things are much more interesting interesting to comment on when you can actually see the cases that are you know being tried uh terry what do you think of cameras in the courtroom and do you think it's somehow perverted justice to have did it turn it did it turn courts into a circus as we may have worried about you're right we worried about him i i have to tell you i worked with uh with uh judge evans to um be a part of getting them into the courtroom to begin with um and i worked for quite a few years uh, making sure that the judges were all set, and uh, um, I had some some great experiences with some of the judges. And yeah, everything was overblown. Much much ado about nothing. There's no worries. Um, cameras are um, as good as documentaries are, uh, if not better, to make sure that the people can understand what the system is about. So that if they read something or something goes wrong in the courtroom. Um, it's not something that they'll just criticize because they'll be able to watch it and be able to see with all of its warts, um, the system does work and and people can see it live 
if they have cameras in the courtroom. And I don't think any of the uh, any of the hyperbole about uh, uh, lawyers acting like uh, like movie stars when they're in the courtroom. I've seen a little bit of that, but very little. You know, you still have to play to a jury, right? And the jury really is uh, barely even knows there's a camera there. Well, it's, you still are grandstanding a little bit, right? Yeah. What, well, what about you, or what, what do you think about the cameras in the courtroom? Well, it started off really bad, because it started off with what was going on in the O.J. Simpson case. And um, I was in that courtroom, as I said earlier, for uh, several days. It was a circus. Uh, everybody was playing to the cameras, not to the jury. The, the lawyers were wearing makeup. The, it, it was just everybody was running outside and trying to get interviews. Uh, every media station was there, including every when – I, when I, my client testified, since he was from Chicago – uh, every outlet here in Chicago sent uh, a camera and a reporter out there. So, but now we have a situation where it it, it couldn't be better. The public gets to see what really happens in the courtroom. Look at uh, look at we had Van Dyke that was televised. We had right. Rittenhouse. Everybody got to see uh, what a trial really looks like with good lawyers, frankly, and a good good judges. So. Uh, I think it helps our profession for the public to see it themselves rather than have some you know, talking head tell them what, to, what it was about or reading about it in the newspaper. They get to see it themselves and make their own opinions as far as evidence, who's a good lawyer, who's a lousy lawyer, who's a good judge, who's a bad judge, and whether or not they would say, hey, this guy's guilty or not guilty. Right, and because sometimes you know, before cameras in the courtroom, you would rely upon the commentators, and the commentators may have a different view of, of the evidence than you would had you, you know— been sitting in that courtroom yourself. And I think we saw that, especially, I'm glad you mentioned that, Rittenhouse. You know, when I saw him testify, he was a very compelling witness for himself, you know, and put everything else aside in politics and what you don't like the outcome of what happened there. He he was a very good witness for himself. And if had I not seen that, I would not have understood the outcome. No doubt about it. Um, uh, I agree with you. He was a compelling witness in the fact that he was so young and uh, the jury was able to see um, the the way he acted by by some of the film clips that were there, and everybody on TV got to see those. So, you know, you could make make your own make up your own opinions. But uh, but what it does is it takes the cloak away, uh, the veil away from uh, from try from people thinking that the system is hiding something. Uh, you can see exactly what's going on. And you can see the good and the bad lawyers. Okay, one last question, and and I think we're going to uh, wrap this up. Your favorite legal movie, Terry Sullivan, yes. I would say uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm. Uh, that may sound a little bit trite, but, you know, it tells, uh, it tells us uh, what the law should be. And, it, you know, it, 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 like the law, has survived. All of these years, all of these movies, and even on Broadway. That's right. And and it's 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 very compelling. And I think my other favorite is uh, my cousin Vinny. There, <laughs> yes. there has to be another side <laughs> where, where we see um, uh, what's what <laughs> that there is uh, a humor side 
to um, to some things in the legal system. I'm with you on those two. How about you, Irv? Well, we share the, our beliefs on one. I agree with you. My favorite Vinny was one of the best uh, funny legal movies ever. But I, as far as the legal movie itself, uh, 12 Angry Men. Mm, I really yep. enjoyed that movie. Uh, to get to see what goes on in a jury room. It, it, you know, when I used to try juries, the first thing I would do after a jury reached a verdict, I, I'd go back to the jury room with the other side and talk to the jurors and find out their opinions. It's amazing what goes on in a jury room. That was a great movie. Yep. Sometimes nothing you ever have contemplated. Mm-hmm. Are they, they made a decision based on, on things. But where could, you, where could you get a better legal quote than, what's a ute? <laughs> <laughs> a ute. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. Irv uh, Miller, where can people contact you if they want to talk to you? Um, actually, the best place to contact me they, is over at uh, Channel 2, CBS. Uh, that's where I've been hanging out uh, these days, uh, doing commentary in a lot of uh, recent cases. Okay. don't Just don't loiter. Terry, where can people reach you? Well, the phone number is 847-228-1100. And you'll catch him on uh, WGN Television, right. commenting on all the latest news stories. When we come back, we'll be taking your legal questions here at 312-981-7200.